Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. This week I am joined by Ian Smith, Deputy Companies Editor. How are you doing, John? All right? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not too so bad. Good. Theron Mohammed. Hello. How are you, Theron? Glad to be here. Well, of course you are. It's the best place to be. (laughs) Over in the control room, we have Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? Very well, John. Wonderful. And Dom on the controls. How are you, Dom? Very well, thanks. Good. And uh, in a bit, he hasn't turned up yet, which is very typical of him, but uh, Algie Hall. Oh, no, here he is. The late Algernon Hall. Here he is. No, we're going to lock him out for a bit, and he can come (laughs) in in a minute. That will teach him for being late. But Algie's going to come in and talk stock screens with us in a minute. But uh, in the meantime, let's talk news. Ian, what's going on in the news this week? Good question. Um, Well, the the big FT-related news... Uh, that were just uh, broke as we were coming on air today, was that um, the German publishing group, Axel Springer, um, is in advanced discussions to buy FT Group, which contains Investors Chronicle. <laughs> exciting stuff, exciting stuff. I mean, I'd be more excited if I hadn't heard it a million times before. <laughs> yeah. um, but, I mean, these, these reports do feel a little bit, little bit uh, more concrete than anything we've heard before. The fact they're being reported in the FT is quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, yeah, for a few years now, Bloomberg to buy the FT. Sorry, been there's reported. been a late development. There's been a late development. Newsflash here. Nikkei borders for $1.29 billion. Sorry, are you, jo- are you joking? Oh, this is the, the note's been handed to me, John. Here we go. We've got literally breaking news. This is incredible. So exciting. The, the news has come from Algernon Hall, though, so I <laughs> 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 veracity is open to question. Well, let's check that out in a minute. Al- Algie, keep watching your phone over the next few minutes to, to verify this uh, this story. Exciting stuff. Exciting so stuff. So it's not actually Springer at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. That's so much good prepared stuff to say as well. There we go. Well, Such is the nature of news. Yeah. Well, well so we're, uh, we're turning Japanese. <laughs> Um, um, amazing. Elsewhere, right, anyway, because yeah. we, we're not actually allowed to give a view on Pearson. It's one of yours, actually. Yep. <laughs> Theron, it's one of yours. We're not, we never give a view on Pearson for we the obvious reason. We might be able to reason. soon, though. <laughs> but we might be able to soon, which will be fun. Yeah. Okay, what else is going on? Uh, we had some slightly disappointed third quarter figures from Apple, uh, which sent its share price at market cap down, as yeah, I'm so sure Theron, Theron can give us a great yeah, view Theron, on. Tell, tell us about that, because, I mean, this was big news, big big uh, tech fallout in the US, took, took the markets... Uh, down with it, uh, sixty billion off, sixty-six billion. I think the quote figure was off Apple's market cap. Um, but the figures didn't look that bad to me. Yeah, I mean, I think Apple just fell victim to extremely high expectations that it was inevitably going to disappoint at one point because expectations just keep going through the roof. Mm. And looking at the figures, they sold nearly forty-eight million iPhones, more than a third than the same quarter last year. So it's not nothing to be sniffed at. But it just, they didn't manage to meet the very the more bullish estimates. Yeah, but I mean, these are these are analy- broker estimates that yeah. um, you know they're not coming from Apple itself. So you know this is the street getting ahead of itself a bit, perhaps. Yeah, I think people tend to buy into the idea that Apple can do no wrong. And sometimes it just sl- slips up relative to what people expect. Of it, Were guess. there some question marks over the amount of sales of the Apple Watch? Because that's something that Apple haven't told the market, right? Yeah, so the guesstimates that people have is they've made about a billion dollars in revenue from it, which is, again, not too bad. That's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> just a billion? <laughs> and on the product front, it seems like everything is going v- well to sell that many iPhones considering that people are getting to the point in the year when they're going to start waiting for the next one to come yeah. out. The new iPhone is, I mean, I'm not a, a gadget freak, but the new iPhone is magnificent. Yeah. I mean, it's a magnificent product. I've got an old one and it's, you know, 
I mean, even I am thinking, oh, this new one's great. It's big. It does, you know, things that this thing can't. This, I mean, it is an incredible product. Yeah. And, you know, Samsung. So when Apple went through its last hiccup in terms of the share price, and there were question marks over its growth, question marks over uh, Tim Cook, and big uh, concerns that Samsung was coming along to it. Samsung has fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Completely. And I think what investors can look to is that the Apple Watch will get better every year, just as the iPhone did. The first mm. iPhone wasn't particularly great. Mm. And Apple's management even said that the Apple Watch has done better in its first few months of trading than either the original iPhone or iPad did. So it's a success by a lot of measures. So we've had these shares on a buy for a long time, ever since I tipped them. Uh, what in today's prices was fifty odd dollars? Yeah, fifty-two, I think, and so now it's one hundred and twenty-five. So profit on that? No problem. No problem. Send the uh, the checks in the post to uh, One Southwark Bridge to <laughs> <laughs> for the ascension of John Human Cash. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So um, are we? We're not worried. We, we perhaps we see this as an opportunity to uh, top up a little bit more. Yeah, on the valuation front, it still looks incredibly cheap, and it seems to be firing on all cylinders. So I'd say this is a buying opportunity. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I mean, let's turn to one of the, the results you wrote this week, which is, in fact, there were two results that are Apple-related. One was ARM, the chip maker. Chip maker, chip designer, yeah. get that right, um, which obviously powers a lot of the world's uh, smartphones, yeah. including Apple phones. They did okay, but shares came off a little bit. There were some elements to that that result that weren't quite what the market was expecting. Yeah. So what do we think about that? Well, on the licensing side, basically ARM licenses out microchip designs to Apple and Samsung, then collects a royalty every time those companies ship a phone to their stores with one of its chips inside. So there are two aspects of licensing revenue and the royalty revenue. And the licensing revenue was a bit below expectations, which is why the shares fell. We're not worried about this? Yep. As as we mentioned earlier, with the uh, the momentum of Apple's iPhone and the fact that ARM reports royalties one quarter in arrears. Exactly. So if, it sell, if Apple sells a lot of iPhones this quarter, ARM, when it reports next quarter, is going to have a good quarter. Mm. And in terms of licensing, which is where the softness was in the last results yeah. statement, um, they themselves have said that they expect that to accelerate a little bit. And ARM chips seem to be going into a lot more sort of new types of products, you know, things that it perhaps wouldn't have been in before beyond the smartphone, beyond the iPad type stuff. Yeah, so there are two sides to that. So ARM's management has said that they expect a new raft of smartphones this year that include their higher margin, newer chips, so a higher mm-hmm. royalty per chip. And also ARM is a, a big world leader in the Internet of Things, getting microchips into all these connected devices, whether it's in transport or telematics in a car, or healthcare, or energy, all these different markets. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, we've got them on hold, um, which I guess is a rating thing, yeah. as much as anything. Yeah. ARM has always been extremely highly rated. Times yeah, earnings, yeah. So. But uh, still a great company, and uh, potential buying opportunities there if the share price pulls back anymore. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other company that's obviously very, very much uh, gadget-related is Dixon's Carphone. Yeah. And um, that was a merger of Dixon's. Or what did they call it? What did they used to call it? Uh, was it, it Dixon's? Was Dixon's? It was Dixon's. Dixon's. Changed his name every five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was DSG for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously owns Curry's. So yeah, Dixon's, Dixon's and it merged warehouse. with Carphone Warehouse. And, it's uh, and there were many critics of the of the merger and those critics have been confounded on these numbers. Not us. Not we us. We had it on a buy. This looked like an amazing deal to us. Incredible synergies. Um, and the synergies are going well. I mean, they've got these, this £80 million cost synergy target, which they think they're going to hit 
a year ahead of schedule. They've already combined the management team. Um, yeah, the kind of merger of the company seems to be progressing well. And demand for the gadgets that, that you know, it does so well out of smartphones and, you know, sort of home electronics, TVs, whatever. Yeah, demand is not going away, which no. I guess you can also also relate to the, the kind of whole housing boom. Yeah, I think consumer, we all know consumer spending has been a really strong part of the recovery. And with uh, wages going up, that's only going to continue. So still uh, a buy. Still a buy. Yeah, it's also got kind of geographic expansion oh, on yeah. the horizon. They've got this deal with Sprint, which could should let it tap into the recovering US economy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Okay. Dixon's car phone. Dixon, yeah. Still good. Right. Still good. Um, while we're on the house housing front, mm. let's talk Mitchell Mersh, which is a small-ish company. It's a brick maker. It's um, a brick maker, yeah. But um, this, I think, I mean, this. I love this little story because uh, we've been following this for some time and uh, it's really, you know, symptomatic of exactly what's happening in the house building sector, which incidentally is the sector focused this week. We think there's a lot more to come there. But let's talk Mitchell Merch because it's, it's a funny little company, but I love the story. It's so old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those investment stories you can just understand quite easily, Indeed. right? Um, there's more bricks. Um, and strong demand for bricks allowed them to um, increase their prices by 9% over the period. So, yeah, they're doing well. Um, their shares actually went down on the announcement because I think they said that the second half was going to be a bit slower from the first half of the first half of the year. It was incredibly busy. Um, so, yeah, we welcome that in terms of returns, well, kind of some kind of stability at least. Okay. Um, yeah, and there was another a, a company that reported today, Breed and Aggregates, kind of building materials supplier. Yep. Um, they've also done... Uh, very well. And it was interesting, actually, the ONS in the first quarter thought that um, construction actually slowed down. And in the breeding aggregates results, they talk about the construction industry actually challenged that. Um, and the ONS, I think, has slightly revised its figures. And actually, in the first quarter, construction was about flat. That's very unusual. Uh, yeah. So actually, that kind of like vaunted kind of construction slowdown ahead of the election perhaps didn't really exist or not to the extent that people thought and, and that seems to be reflected in the numbers of the companies that are exposed to construction yeah i mean I, for me it's one of those scuttlebutt stories you've only got to drive around the country and i, I found myself stuck in south essex the other day going the wrong way and um you know I mean, the, the amount of house building sites and you know it near me as well i mean just every everywhere every bit of land that they can build on they're building on it's, yeah uh, if you look at secure secure trust bank um this week it was, which is in the in the results section too the the massive growth in its real estate finance where it lends to residential uh, commercial developers has been huge. I mean, it's gone from basically nothing to quite a large amount of lending there. Um, so, yeah, it's quite clear that there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, actually, it was interesting. We, we had a couple of the alternative banks, alternative lenders, mm. um, reporting Arbuthnot and Secure, which uh, Arbuthnot owns a very large stake in. Yeah, 52%. Both doing well. Yeah, yeah both doing well. And, and Arbuthnot this time having something to shout about it itself as well apart from just its massively decently performing stake in secure trust its private banking arm has been expanding they've been hiring people um, and the uh, kind of increasing flow of profit from that has been great for the for the group the dubai office is about to kind of break even itself so yeah and then obviously secure trust is, is doing really well this massive demand for finance it, and in secure trust interestingly enough is thinking of following one savings bank and others into the mortgage wider mortgage market okay. especially buy to let although the budget changes um, is they're factoring that into their thinking at the moment. Well, that's held back the share price in Secure Trust a little bit, but our Buffalo's kind of shielded from that slightly, albeit it has this a very large stake. Uh, Simon Thompson's read about both uh, our Buffalo and uh, Secure Trust this week. Um, I mean, he's worked out that uh, essentially, you know, with the stake in Secure Trust, you're essentially getting the the wealth management operation of our Buffalo for nothing in the share price at the moment, which seems crazy. These yeah. are brilliant. These are well-run businesses uh, in a, in a market sweet spot. I think Simon's yeah. 
Yeah, we said famous it, for his bargain shares. This is a, this is a proper bargain. Yeah, and we we have said it before as well that you know our Buffnot's fifty two percent stake in Secure Trust is is worth more than our Buffnot's market cap. Yeah, so yeah, that says insane. it all really. Insane. Okay, uh, let's quickly turn to uh, to gold, Robbo, because uh, it's not been yeah. a good week for gold. Well, it hasn't been a, g- a good week at all. We've seen, well, it's not been a good year for gold, really. No, well, it's plodded along now at the $1,200 uh, $1, an ounce mark for so long. But just recently, uh, the price ha- has come off. And uh, earlier this week, on the back of a, a $2.7 billion trade in Asian markets, it hit a five-year low. Now, at the time, this was sort of um, conjectured this was down to an electronic trade that had gone wrong. But uh, sentiment uh, isn't exactly positive at the moment. And I've seen some technical analysis today and some comments from uh, Goldman Sachs uh, suggesting that the price could breach the $1,000 an ounce mark. Well, this, this is bad because, as we've talked about before, you know, the, the uh, marginal cost of production is sort of around the $1,200 yeah, mark an uh, ounce. Yeah, and, and, you know, going below that, I mean, gold miners are simply not viable. Well, that's right. That, that figure has probably come down in the interim period, as as is normal with these uh, with any commodities in this phase. But I, I think that the the weakness at the moment is uh, an indication, perhaps, of a euro weakness more than anything else. Because in the, the couple of weeks leading up to this, when uh, the Greek crisis was at its uh, peak, people were wondering why hasn't gold broken out? Surely this is a, an ideal opportunity to, to buy into the metal, and, and you would think on the basis of well, yeah, it's you know it's a safe haven. Why not pile in there? But actually, all, all the Greek crisis has done is highlighted the fact that the euro, as a, a single currency in its current form, uh, may be unworkable. And recent comments from the uh, the IMF uh, point to this as well. And so basically what you've seen is uh, capital flows moving further towards uh, the US dollar. And given that there's an inverse uh, correlation between the US dollar and commodities and, and, and gold as a result, uh, we, we've seen the gold price um, uh, fall away quite sharply. And this applies to uh, other uh, commodities as well. Uh, and so in, in this week's article, I'm just looking at a few different aspects and looking at uh, what might happen, for instance, if uh, China is successful in getting the yuan accepted as uh, one of the basket of uh, reserve currencies around the world. Uh, this would, well, you would think this would mean that eventually some of those flows that are heading towards the US would head head east uh, uh, and the flows that are bound for the euro would head east as well this would ease inward pressure into the US dollar which in a, in a funny sort of way might actually prop up the gold price over the long run we, we're still we haven't heard anything different that 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 all in cash costs for gold at $1,200 an ounce we, we don't think that's really changed or if it has it's only um, fallen away uh, slightly uh, so over the long run, we still think that's a reasonable flaw for the, the gold price, although um, market speculation at the moment suggests otherwise. Probably not a good time to be buying gold or gold miners, though, at the moment. Well, there's, a, there's another point as well that uh, I, I don't go into any particular detail in, in this week's piece as well, is the disconnect that exists at the moment between demand for physical gold and uh, demand for derivative products as well. I read something the other day, and I don't know how true this is, but the actual market for physical delivery gold might actually be um, proportionally about 40 times as large as the the the, the, um, the underlying gold reserves, which suggests that, you know, if if it came to the point where everyone suddenly turned around and said, well, right, we want this gold for delivery, there wouldn't be enough physical gold to, to match these uh, paper assets. 
this suggests that there's something fundamentally wrong with the gold market if if this is true and also there's been uh, i've i've heard a lot of anecdotal reports of the fact that people in asia are paying well in excess of $1200 an ounce and have been for some time this is private investors in 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 asia i'm talking about to to get hold of gold so again i can't verify these things but it it seems to me that there could be an, some manipulation in gold markets yes it wouldn't be the first time Markets have been manipulated, would it now? It, it wouldn't be, and, and you know, gold has come into for some criticism for this in the past, but um, we, we really don't know at this stage. But we, we think what would be interesting would be happen if uh, the yuan is accepted as a reserve currency, which looks like it's, it's sort of nailed on at the moment, mm. and what effect, what indirect effect, effect that might have on the gold price over the long run, and we think it might be positive. Yeah, I thought maybe, maybe sentiment's also been sort of suppressed somewhat by the fact that China doesn't hold quite as much gold as people thought it did. Well, that's according to Chinese state statistics, and uh, and they're not uh, known for their their accuracy, and th- there's a reason why China might be uh, understating their reserves at the moment, even though they're trying to get accepted as a reserve currency, and that's because... Uh, their export markets are, um, are linked to uh, continued dollar strength. That's positive for them. And plus, they've got a huge um, US dollar exposure as well. So it actually isn't in uh, China's interests at the moment to see the, the greenback fall away. Okay. And uh, Ian has just shown me the, uh, the Nikkei story. We are we uh, potentially have new owners. We're yeah. turning wow. Japanese. Wow. <laughs> I really think so. I knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> okay. Th- thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Robbo. Anyway, um, yeah, gold. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. We haven't we haven't really followed it for a while. It's been a bit of a bit of a, a damp squib of a story. But I mean, it is intriguing, if not almost impossible to understand what is going on there. Thank you for uh, for trying to shed some light. on Okay, that. John. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. Before we move on to the cover feature, which Theron has written, which is about computer gaming, which is a subject which I very much enjoy, um, let's quickly round up the news and results. Uh, I thought the MS story was interesting here. Yeah, ex- exactly right. So the um, general merchandise area of uh, MS that everyone keeps their eye on. We thought it was improving, then we found out it's not doing as well as we'd hoped, and now the... Um, the head of it, John Dixon, has quit. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, John Dixon was the, the head of food for, for a long time. And, um, you know, food was obviously built up into an amazing business, which really is the powerhouse in Marks and Spencer these days. Mm. I guess they hoped he could replicate that success in the general merchandise division and he hasn't. And now they're hoping that um, likely Steve Rowe, the current head of food, will take his place and we'll leave in a few <laughs> <years> as well <laughs> so history will repeat itself once as tragedy my personal view my pre- former colleague julia bradshaw's personal view was that the the general merchandise side of things and particularly the clothing side of things was really quite troubled at mns um they've been through a number of uh, of management changes there i mean they they uh, kate bostock obviously was uh was brought in to revitalise that business, left, mm. uh, went to Asos, left there very quickly as well. Um, you know, it's a it's a bit of a poison chalice, this business. And, and yeah. you know, I, I, I don't buy much from Marks and Spencer's clothing department anymore. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert either. But, I mean, that area of the business clearly needs some kind of game-changing event, doesn't it, if it's yeah. going to kind of come back to its best. Yeah, we've not been convinced for some time. Yeah. Uh, but the share price has proved this wrong, it has to be said. Um, my personal view would be that that's much to do with the, the, the strong performance of the food business uh, as it has any potential recovery in the in the clothing and general merchandise business, which I really struggle to see what the light at the end of the tunnel mm. here. And, you know, if you if, if a man like uh, John Dixon can't get it, get it, you know, firing again, I just, I wonder who can. 
Yeah, exactly right. And I think, you know, trading on 17 times forward earnings, we think that's pretty fair value, given, given how pretty good Pretty punchy, in fact. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say that's potentially beyond fair value. But, uh, hold, but hold for there now. There you go. Yeah, yeah, hold for now. That's very generous. Um, okay, I guess that kind of wraps up everything we've got in the... I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, there's other results, obviously. But it's a bit more news. We've got some stuff on rate rises, the yeah. potential rate rise. Things that might happen. Uh, Greece, we probably wouldn't talk about that, so let's not. <laughs> but, you know, it seems to be a story that's going away. Further now, public spending is, uh, cuts coming down the, the rails in the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Wow. What a surprise. Lots of uh, interesting news there on the company's front. Okay, Theron, let's talk uh, Let's talk the cover feature. Video gaming, game on. Now, this was a sector I used to cover myself. And I've got to say, the UK video gaming industry, certainly the listed component of it, has not always had the happiest of times. You know, when I read this feature, I didn't recognise any of the names because these were not the same video games companies that I used to cover when I was an analyst back in, you know, uh, 2000, 2001, uh, as, a, as a journalist in 2004, 5. Um, it's changed. And, you know, I think, I think this is the, the interesting thing about this feature. The model is changing and the opportunities are different. And, and this is a potentially a good thing for investors. Yeah, well, um, I decided to write this feature because in the US, video gaming is such a big business for half a dozen billion dollar companies in it. And it's a big part of the media sector. In the UK, it's not really looked at very much. And I was surprised to find there are quite a few listed companies that do give you exposure to video games yeah, in yeah. the UK. No, it used to, I, mean, I said it used to be, but I think um, you know, pretty much every investor that got involved in video games in the UK got their fingers burnt. Yeah. So you know, that, it may be that sort of lingering uh, antipathy towards the sector as a result of that that's, uh, that's part of the problem. But yeah, there's a new crop on the market and they look interesting. Yep. So there are a couple of major trends that they're buying into or cheerleading. One is digital distribution, where essentially when, when people used to buy games, discs in the store, mm. now they can download games and video gaming has become a recurring service where the developer will sell you a game and then get you to subscribe or pay each month for more content. So it's good for consumers, maybe a bit more expensive, but it's extremely good for developers. Absolutely. You know, when I, used to, when I first bought computer games, I used to buy them on cassette. I'd have a tape, Spectrum 48K. You all look at me like I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not even true. The first time I ever played a computer game, I typed it into the computer from a magazine, <laughs> the code into a magazine. I'm showing my age, aren't I? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the Nintendo 64 GoldenEye generation. Right, okay. Yeah, Classic no, era for gaming. Not the, not the ZX81 type, type your own game into the machine <laughs> from a magazine article. It would never work. There was always one one typo. It was, so you think a typo in the Vestas Chronicle is bad. Imagine typing in 10,000 lines of code and there's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> it did used to happen. The cassette loading was also quite interesting. It used to take about 10 minutes to load a game. Yeah, times, honestly. Times have changed. Anyway, yes. So gaming. Digital yeah. distribution. So uh, you can download your games very quickly. Uh, the rise of mobile gaming. We used to have to use Game Boys to play games on the move. Now everyone has a smartphone or a tablet and they can play Angry Birds, Candy Crush, Classic, Clash of Clans. And that's become a billion dollar industry and very lucrative for a lot of companies. People, our readers may know about King Digital, which listed in the US at a very high valuation and makes hundreds of millions mm. through simple games. And charging you to play them better. Yeah, I mean, the funny, funny thing is I look at these mobile, a lot of these mobile games and they are kind of, you know, in terms of the game itself, it's not 
a million miles away from what I was actually downloading from cassettes all those years ago. I mean, yeah. it's, it's quite interesting. But I guess, you know, you, you make the game that, that works on the, on the platform, on the media. Um, I mean, I was fascinated by this figure, 35 billion, the predicted size of the mobile games market in two years' time. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely vast. Yeah, and in fact, it's Apple and Google who have a lot of exposure because they run the app stores where yeah. all their games are downloaded from. Yeah, and absolutely. And two-thirds of the top 100 um, apps are games. So people love them and they... They're very popular playing on, on your commute or at home or with the family even. Yeah, well, no, my kids, we, I bought my kids mobile phones last uh, for their birthday and I, I can't get them off them. They're always playing games. What a mistake that was. Okay, so yeah, mobile, interesting trend there. What, do, we, do we have any UK companies that are exposed to the, to the mobile trend uh, specifically? Well, um, not, I guess, not purely. So there are a couple companies that do a mix, including mobile. So Frontier Developments, which is... From what I can tell, the only sort of pure play video game developer that's okay. listed in the UK, it makes mobile games and it's also started self-publishing games so it can take all the profits rather than working through a, a big video game company to get its games onto shelves. Because of digital distribution, it can now sell them directly. Doesn't it have to go through? Cost. Doesn't it have to go through the App Store or the Android Store, um, or whatever it is, to, to get those onto people's phones? Well, it uh, can phones? sell them through its own website, and also it's but to expand its reach it is using the app stores and various distribution platforms but that tends to be much cheaper than having a middleman between you and the retailer yeah yeah okay interesting um okay the other trend that you talk about which i think is absolutely fascinating is the the rise of uh, gaming as a spectator sport yeah you know this is incredible now there is a company in the uk that's involved in this um i actually had a reader who contacted me several times talking about this company gfinity because he thought it was really interesting and, and you know it's, we've, we finally got there Tell, tell us what it's doing, because I, I think this is amazing. And some of the big guys are involved in this as well. So even myself, a couple of years ago, I didn't really buy this as a trend that people would were actually um, passionate and interested in watching other people play video games. But then you had Amazon buying Twitch, which is it's the third highest source of internet traffic in the US. That is just so, extraordinary. So millions, hundreds of millions of people each month are watching video games on this platform. And... Gfinity is a UK play on that. It organizes these tournaments where um, hundreds of people will go. They, um, they have a deal with VU Cinemas. They've um, repurposed a 600-seat section of their uh, Fulham Broadway multiplex, and it's a 25-week uh, championship, and all these gamers compete for a big prize pool, and hundreds of people are watching there, and millions around the world are tuning in. Wow. So it, and it's supposed to be a billion-dollar industry within three years. So, is, I mean, is, is it profitable for Gfinity, or are they, you know, still still waiting to hit that cusp, as it were? Um, it's not profitable yet, but they're focusing on on building a reputation for quality and drumming up interest because it's such a young industry, which mm. I, I think is fair at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of being a young industry, I mean, you know, I thought it was a young industry when I was downloading games, or downloading? When I was actually loading games, downloading, <laughs> loading games off a cassette. But I mean, it's still a young industry. There is still a long way to go. You talk in the future about things like virtual reality, which, yeah. um, you know, that's becoming a reality. Yeah, so Facebook bought Oculus, which was kind of an outsider that no one really knew what it was up to, if it could really work. And Facebook purchasing it, saying that virtual reality would not only be relevant to gaming, but for education and sports. You could feel like you're in the um, on the sports pitch with the players, maybe, or 
have ringside seats to the basketball or in a, or in a lecture theater. Facebook sees virtual reality as the next step in social interaction. Yeah, so I mean, it's really interesting because I mean, you look at sort of a lot of the sort of uh, production in some of the special effects driven films now, you've got to think that a lot of that's come from computer game work as well. I yeah. mean, you can see a lot of this stuff. It's only virtual reality that must have got you know, that's got to make its way into sports, sports viewing, you know, proper yeah. sports viewing, not gaming viewing yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean this, is, this is a fascinating industry often leads the way there are players in the UK that, that really let us access this, uh, this amazing trend OMG talking especially effects being a company yeah. that's, uh, that's heavily involved in that that side of things motion capture that kind of stuff you've got you know film stars who get involved in the production of video games too um, yeah, Kevin Spacey was in the latest Call of Duty was he? yeah <laughs> wow He's get, he gets around <laughs> and um, there's also Keyword Studios which is involved in the technical side of, of recording audio and uh, localizing video games. And we've got Pinewood Studios, who it provides production facilities and stages for TV and film, and it sees video games as another growth market. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as we say, they're sort of blending. You know, the, uh, we know that video games has become a bigger industry than film. If the stats are to be believed, but but yeah, I mean, you know, so much so much crossover there. It's uh, it's fascinating. Thank yeah. you very much, Theron. Okay, Algernon. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Eventually, Pleasure how are you? Here. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, I'm very well. We rarely get the chance to have you in the studio. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Well, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And we're going to talk stock screens. Yes. Um, yeah. So, should we start with this week's stock screen? Which I think is so, an interesting one because it's very, it's very uh, on trend, as it yeah, were. Yeah, it's very, it's, um, and I've, I've updated it. This is because um, I, I had my big reliable screen a couple of weeks ago, which has done very well. And this one, the safe yield screen, which is fitting with what they're calling the bondification um, theme. Yeah, well, you mentioned so, bondification as well, didn't you? Ian? And yeah. I mentioned it too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who mentioned it first. You mentioned it first. Oh, okay. I nicked it off you. I nicked it off someone too. So you probably okay. nicked it off Algie. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Well, so Algie, tell us, tell us what, what is this bondification? Then? Well, it's, it's basically the idea is um, people who would normally invest in uh, in bonds can't get the yields in, that, that, that they want from bonds. So they're looking to equities and they're looking to safe, reliable equities. What people are worried about is, I mean, these stocks, they are expensive by historic standards, but um, people are worried that when the bond market goes, which, you know, it's very expensive, so you imagine it would do at one point, these stocks have become correlated with it, so the stocks will go as well. Mm. Whereas there's also an argument that if people are moving into bonds now, I mean, moving into equities from bonds now, they'll just do it more if the bond market starts starts to go down so i mean you know it, it's one of these trends which is established who knows how long it'll play out for i think okay but, but it's but definitely been benefiting these kind of screens yeah i was gonna say so this this uh safe yield screen yeah has delivered a fantastic performance yeah and no, you've got you've got to you've got to think that this has been driven by this this it, shift into definite to high yield in it, I'd say, yeah definite factor in it um and i, I mean also with uh, with with this screen i mean one of the one of the reasons why You'd have to say it's a factor is because it's increasingly hard to find shares which fit the criteria. There's, you know, because there's a yield criteria, which, cr criteria, which is the valuation criteria. Mm. You're, you know, looking for stocks which are kind of reasonably priced on, on one measure. And it's, um, I've, I've had to, well, for the second year in a row, I've had to kind of relax the criteria to get results from the screen yeah okay but it's, but it's been a good one it's a total return of 26% over the last 12 months against 5% from the all share yeah yeah so no, it's I working mean, yeah, it's, it's doing very well and um, 
I mean, the on on a, on a long term, but the first one I ran. I mean, I, this is kind of like a. I, I'd I'd regard this as a buy and hold um, screen because you're looking for quality, reliable stocks. And the first um, one I did in 2011, that those shares were up 120 percent, or they produced a 120 percent total return. And the market's um, just a bit less than 40%. So, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a great screen. It's outperformed. Every portfolio has outperformed the market. I think it's been effective at targeting the kind of theme that I was hoping it would pick up on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I mean, let's, let's sort of widen this discussion about stock screens. Because, you know, turning to the results of this, and I'm not going to go through all, all in detail. It's not, not entirely relevant right now. But mm-hmm. one of them, BBA Aviation. Yes, that's yeah. a sell tip in this. That's week's a sell tip in this magazine. Now, yeah. now, I mean, this kind of this kind of tells us something interesting about what we are doing with stock screening, in that it's a very mechanical process, yeah. without any kind of uh, qualitative judgment around the shares. This is sometimes that, that creates a bit of confusion. Um, how can you yes. say that's a, that's a buy on the stock screen, but a sell elsewhere in the magazine? Yeah. Let's let's talk through you know how stock how stock screens work. We've never really done it on this podcast, but um, I, I no. kind of think it's important to talk about the mechanical nature of what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I mean the yeah the the, the way they work is it simply the st- screen is simply looking for stocks which meet um, several criteria. The way I try and design them is so is to create a kind of style an investment or recognizable investment style from each of the screens. And often they're kind of guru screens. So famous fund managers have, you know, written books and um, told people how how they do it. And so they kind of so some of the screens try and replicate those kind of processes. But they're styles which um, should be successful over the long term. Uh, you know, short term screens fluctuate. There's no qualitative side to it at all. Which um, which you know, arguably is the strength of a, of, of a screen as well as its weakness because. Um, stock tipping is uh you know it's it's hard work and it's easy to be caught out tip something and you may you may have you know be looking at a stock from one angle whereas the market's going to pick up on another angle um in 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 the story and yeah fundamentals or your or your cognitive biases come into play as well yeah no no absolutely and and and, i mean also on, on that kind of behavioral finance point i mean there are um psychologists who believe that um you know complex decision making is best made using simple formulas which um you know which will produce better outcomes than experts like ourselves actually sitting down and looking through i mean you know you, you really what you want to do is have a process i think i mean that's that in in terms of the kind of practical um you know knowledge we have of the market or experience most of us have of the market it's it's important to have a process and be yeah. looking at valuation and then you that and then from that you can come on to Right. Let's see where the story is going. Is this a reliable, believable story that I seem to be seeing? So, I, I mean, you know, the, the two fit together, basically. Yeah. I mean, this was uh, so your tips editor now. You took that yes, over. Yeah. I mean, and, and you were doing the socks screens before that. And uh, yes. be, being the uh, enlightened editor that I am, I thought, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would be perfect to put those two together, to have that valuation framework that a stock screen brings you with the qualitative judgment of of guys that, that spend their whole days looking at markets and yeah. companies, and I, you know, I yeah, think it's I very mean, interesting to yeah, no, to. I mean, yeah, we we try and we try and marry them. I, I mean, there's a there's a sheet of um, I don't know how many ratios are on on it. Probably about thirty or something, which um, I go through each time someone suggests a tip. And I mean, the, the important thing though with um, valuation criteria to remember is something things move in and out of styles. So there's no point in um, saying I only want to invest in shares with a you know p of five or less or something like you know so, some um you, you you've got to look for the story that the numbers are telling and then 
check that it the story actually exists in terms of the company and the news it's reporting. And that's that's bringing the sentiment into play, the the general yeah. market sentiment, which is what the human beings are here to do. Yes, as it were. yeah, yeah, no, it's the sentiment and and just um those kind of judgments about the reliability of the business is you know is 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 this all it's cracked up to be is yeah. it, you know it's and it's a very you know it's, you, you need to have a lot of knowledge and experience to be able to have a chance at answering that I that's think. that's good so we're not going to get replaced by robots for a while <laughs> yeah, then. hopefully 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 <laughs> um okay um so yeah i mean this has been a, been a particularly good screen over the last few years save fuel chairs is it the best one because I know no. we've got loads of styles. <laughs> I, I t- did you bring your spreadsheet with you? With the... I've got my big spreadsheet. Okay, what's, yeah. what's the best one? What's that? So the best one I'm actually updating for the um, next week's magazine. It's um, the um, contrarian. Um, it's, it's a kind of price to sales uh, screen, um, and it's, it's it basically I, I, I published the um, twenty shares which fit the criteria, but I concentrate on the top five. So it's the top five shares which have, and this is. Um, up to date they've um they since i first ran the screen in um july 2011 they've delivered a total return of 205.2 percent <laughs> and the market has delivered a total return of 39.5 percent not too shabby. so well yeah you made three times your money if you actually um and also actually because i've been through the figures if you, if you actually just bought the first lot of shares in 2011 you would have made a better return than that, a 220% total return. Extraordinary. It, it, it is. I mean, you know, and part of it's luck. Because, I mean, you know, all, all, always with, you know, it's kind of whether, the, you know, people you know people have been latching onto this kind of um, story because um, yeah, because everything's been recovering. And like, price to sales is a really great way to look for recovery stock. So it's, you know, it's, um, you know, the sentiment's been right and um, the right stocks have come into, you know, come into the screen when i've screened it which you know happens to be it's you know it's july once a year so yeah you can't you know it's kind of you know it's um, an extreme performance but i mean it's ho- hopefully it suggests the screens of long-term value yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah they're good numbers anyway yeah well i don't see many weeks where the uh the screens don't seem to be working so yeah uh, i know i know how much hard work we, we often get asked uh tell us how to do this ourselves from our readers and but the reality is we, we spend a lot of money on data yeah uh, and i know you've invested a lot of money uh, a lot of money i've invested <laughs> the money you've invested the time in, in in building the spreadsheets that power this stuff it's yeah. not it's not as straightforward as it may seem no and, um, and data data is notoriously kind of you know unreliable and hard to process so yeah we there's lots of cleaning up and interpreting of the data that we have yeah brilliant yeah all right, well done, Algie. Thank you Great. very much. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you, everyone else, uh, Ian and, and Theron and, and Dom over there in the control room. For, uh, and Robbo's gone. Um, but thank you, everyone else, for, uh, for, uh, for your contributions today. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good issue. Uh, I really like the, uh, the, the, the cover feature. I, I think we've got lots of uh, fascinating stories in there. As I said, we've got uh, the sex focus is worth a read, just to, to reiterate that house building story. Um, which we feel has, has has plenty of room left to run. Mm. James Norrington, who looks after our sort of uh, statistical uh, portfolio and, and market tactics type stuff, uh, has done a big piece on, on, on managing risk uh, this week. It's sort of mathematically interesting, but also practical. There, there are uh, an increasing number of tools out there that can let you really get to grips with the risk that's inherent in your portfolio and minimise it. Um, the usual results, they're going to pick up again next week, aren't they? And it's going to start to get busy. It's going to be huge next week. Oh, it it's looks all awful. going Wednesday on. Wednesday looks terrible. <laughs> it's going to be a great week. Yeah. 
So you can Great. read all about it in the Nikkei Chronicle. Yeah. So now who have we got, who have we got next week? Just uh, let's have a, let's have a look. Who have we got next week? Sky on Wednesday. Sky Barclays, British American Tobacco, International Post of Finance, GSK. Oh, yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. Okay, so uh, we got, we're all going to need a holiday uh, once the summer, <laughs> summer holidays have finished. Um, okay, but anyway, thank you for listening again. And um, pick up the magazine this week. It's got uh, a game that, that looks like it's straight out of my era on the cover. Uh, £4.50, all good news agents, and see you again soon. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.